Hey, hello. How are you? This is a show for everyone else. Instead of going after top 1% of the world, we dedicate this podcast to celebrate the lives of the unsung heroes and self-made artists. I guess I get used to not being perfect and instead get used to meeting things, finishing things, knowing what I want out of them and and also being incredibly focused. Anything I do, I have one clear reason for doing it and I don't let myself get distracted. And if that means that there's a pile of dishes in the sink, fine. The number one thing that gets in the way is self-confidence and that feeling of who wants to read my writing and nobody really, you know, I don't have anything useful to say. Think about what it is that you want to write. The first thing people will say is they're like, oh, I want to write a book, but oh, I can't do that. Or I want to write for magazines, but oh, I can't do that. And that little voice of, oh, I can't do that, recognize it and just be like, no, I'm going to ignore that. You want to write a book, write a book. You are going to be rejected. You aren't going to use everything that you write. So it's worthwhile to really enjoy the writing that you're doing and to really embody it. Learning to be comfortable with chaos is a great place for anyone to start. I feel like my role in this world is to give people a voice who don't feel like they have one. And if I can do that, then I feel like I will have given back to the world as much as I've been given. Hi there. This is Fei Wu again. I am so thrilled that you're here. I cannot see you. I wish I could. But today I'm bringing forward another great episode, which is an interview format podcast episode. You guys know I love interviews. And you know, recently people ask me, what is the point of the show? Well, I told them that it is for unsung heroes and self-made artists. And I believe that some of you guys, you know, who are listening to the show, and I can't wait to hear, you know, from you and the stories about you. Today, I have a lovely, lovely woman who's a writer. Her name is Lee Shulman. She found me through Alt MBA. Basically, after we posted the episode with Seth Godin, she decided to reach out. We hit it off right away and timing couldn't be more perfect because as some of you guys know, we're working on our first book. Well, I am. And uh, I'm using the software Scrivener and I'm giving myself word count every day. And this first book title is TBD, but it's written for immigrants, students and workers I'm so thrilled and I don't want to just write this book for people who are like me, who's Chinese, but really it's the voice of all immigrants living in America right now. And I have so much respect for you, no matter where you are, which part of the journey you're on. And Lee, today, our guest, is a writer who also coaches other new and experienced writers to complete their books. She leads a thriving community for writers, Think Mastermind, but also Creative Revolution, international book writing retreats where she invites you to travel with her to write some more. But here's the thing. What does Lee have to do with the story I was talking about and being immigrants and understanding the immigration process and and how challenging life could be for an immigrant? 
born and raised in South Africa until around the age of five. Hmm, I hope I remember this correctly. Lee and her family moved to the United States when she was still very young. Then later on as an adult, she moved her entire family again from New York City to Argentina. Well, this is a story for independent creative women who want to live lives on their own terms, even with a family and raising young children. And this episode is maybe for you. If you are at a crossroad with your own creative endeavors, perhaps while balancing a family life as well, or you've just decided to move to a different city, state, or country and feeling a little overwhelmed, or if you're curious about writing your first book, or last but not least, Some people came up to me recently talking about Mastermind because I run alt podcasters and Lee's running a very, very successful mastermind for writers. And she admitted that it really took her many years to kind of make the mistakes that she needed to make to get the mastermind into the shape and form that it is today. I thought speaking to Lee is particularly fascinating and necessary because of her journey as an immigrant now living full-time in Argentina. I'm working on my first book and trying not to get too emotionally attached because this is the first book from us and it's for immigrants, which is a very sensitive topic in America right now. Lee had a lot to share as an American who immigrated elsewhere. We even challenged the difference between talking about or referring to oneself as an immigrant versus an expat. So I am curious to hear your feedback, and uh, if you would like to hear more interviews and, and stories like this, please let me know. I always, always love hearing from my listeners, and I personally respond to all the emails. Before we jump right into the interview, here's a quick update on our docuseries. It is so ongoing, uh, even when you're hearing this. It's, uh, it's definitely a testament to my own patience, for sure. It's been with a distributor for months now. And, uh, you know, we are fixing some of the audio issues, but hopefully, fingers crossed, I cannot wait to share these episodes with you guys. And thank you so much for your support, for your messages. And it means so much to me. But without further ado, please welcome Lee Shulman to the Face World podcast. intrigued. One of the things I noted down last time we spoke was this uh, incredible observation you had when a Caucasian person moves abroad, um, then he calls himself an expat, whereas pretty much every other race, myself included, you know, Asian, Hispanic, Black, and everybody who moved to the States, for example, call themselves um, immigrants. Like, what, what are your thoughts on that? And how, how did it come up for you? It came out because of an article that I think was in The Guardian where they, they're talking about the difference between expat and immigrant. And I actually, I do call myself an immigrant. I mean, I call myself both, but I, I, when I hear the word immigrant, I sort of think of it, I think of, of um, sort of more of a cultural difference. Um, a good friend of mine who run, he's, he lives in New York. We, we knew each other in college. We didn't go to the same college, but he... He works with radio stations, basically. I don't exactly know how he does it, but he creates this sort of radio stations from home for immigrants, but in New York City. And his view of of being an immigrant is that you can't go home, which I don't know that I necessarily agree, but I think immigrant 
immigrant, it, it's taken on these days a really bad meaning, which I think is really unfortunate. Expat feels like you're just there to cut, for me anyway, expat feels like you're just sort of floating on top of the culture and you're always separated from it. Whereas immigrant for me means you integrate and you, you know, as somebody who is, you know, is a two-time immigrant, born in South Africa, moved to the States, left the States, now live in Argentina. I'll never be fully Argentine. I'll never be, I mean, I'll probably be more American than anything else or U.S. American, but that I, I want to integrate. I want to understand the culture. I want to be here. Not that I'm just sort of observing and kind of, you know, floating around and maybe can leave whenever I feel like it. This is home. Mm-hmm. So I remember that. Could you help paint a timeline again? How old were you when you moved from South Africa to the States and then to Argentina? I mean, you don't have to call out all the eight ages, but I'm just trying to get <laughs> Fine, a sense yeah. the timeline. Well, yeah. well, actually, I was five. I was little when my parents moved to the States and they did move. Um, they were concerned about how things were in South Africa politically. Um, we did not leave the United States for political reasons. We left because basically we were living in New York and we just, I didn't like parenting in New York and we wanted to find a new place. So we're like, well, let's just travel and see what happens. And we actually moved to Argentina when my daughter was at, was the same age that I was when we moved to the States. So it's been kind of interesting you know, I can't help but, you know, it's in my nature. I just, I can't help but make parallels. I, I'd already lived in the United States, worked in the United States, went to school in the United States, and then left, traveled to a bunch of different places, and then finally moved to Argentina 10 years ago. I'm fascinated by your story as a writer. I know you coach many other people to do what you do, to do what you love, which is fantastic. But before we get there, I would love to hear your opinion on parenting in New York or New York City, because I'm a, I'm a fan of the city. And it really grew on me, uh, much more so than when I was younger. Parenting in the city. I, when I first got to New York, because I went there for school, I actually, I found it really overwhelming. Um, There's just so much going on. I would go into the city and then I'd just be so overwhelmed. I had, I would, you know, I just couldn't deal with it. And then it grew on me also. And I loved it there. And I mean... It's such an amazing, vibrant place where just walking down the street tells a story. You, you can meet incredible people anywhere you go. You never know what the person next to you on the subway is doing. And I mean, for any creative, for a writer, for anyone creative, for anyone who's telling stories, I mean, New York is, there's no other place like it. And to also be around other creatives and the, just the breadth of what you can find there. I found parenting there to be the exact opposite. I felt it very confining, you know, to have a little child and, you know, to leave, even just leaving the apartment was, was a hassle. You know, if the elevator was out, it was going downstairs. Do I carry the baby? Do I do this? Do I do that? You know, where do I go? You know, getting on the bus is hard. Getting on the subway is hard. There seem to be a lot of people who don't really like children there or have so many rules for children it's confining. So, you know, I remember even little things that, you know, walking into a restaurant, I remember walking into a restaurant when my daughter was maybe three, it was an Indian restaurant in the West village. And the looks on everybody's faces were just like horrifying. Like, Oh no, that's it. Then we sat, we ate. She, she's a New York kid. I mean, New York kids learn how to eat in restaurants really early. And I even remember going out for dinner with a friend. Well, a group of us for a friend went out for a friend's birthday and all of us had little kids. 
And we had maybe six little kids younger than three years old, all sitting around the table. And they were all sitting and eating and not running around. Something my my five-year-old now can barely do uh, because he hasn't grown up going out to restaurants. He's grown up running around the backyard. But I think people are just, because you're so, you're in such close quarters with people, people are really protective of their space and can be kind of unkind at times to other people. And that unkindness placed on parents and especially new moms and little kids is very painful and confining. And it made me not want to go out. And I wasn't taking advantage of all the amazing things New York had to offer. Um, It wasn't the only reason we left, but it was a big reason. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I think New York City is a great place for adults, but a certain type of adults. I notice just a general fast pace of lifestyle in places like New York City, Shanghai, Beijing. So uh, I can't imagine just what entrepreneurial moms like yourself have to navigate. You know, you got to take care of young children, as well as, uh, you know, managing these masterminds, looking for work. Um, how, how, do you juggle all of that, you know, now that we're on that topic? <laughs> um, I try not to worry too much about everything. Um, and it's funny, I just had a long discussion with my daughter about that today, that there's there's only so much that we can do. There's only so many things we can cover. So I just sort of take it step by step. And, you know, I don't love it when the house is messy. I don't love it when things don't work out exactly as I might they don't work out the best possible way or the perfectly. I guess I get used to not being perfect and instead get used to, you know, meeting things, finishing things, knowing what I want out of them and, and also being incredibly focused. Anything I do, I have one clear reason for doing it and I don't let myself get distracted. And if that means that there's a pile of dishes in the sink, fine. If that means, you know, like there's dog food all over the floor outside, fine. I can't, you know, like that I'm, that I, that I choose what I'm going to do. And if certain things aren't done, then that's fine. As long as the things that are most important to me are completed in the way that I want them done. So. Yeah. Prioritization. I think it's so essential to parenthood, especially for someone like yourself who, you know, runs a business that's filled with many elements and aspects of the business, unlike, you know, unlike someone who's doing just that one thing. Um, So how would you describe your current career or your entrepreneurial trajectory? And I find it really fascinating. Right now... Right now, I'm trying to focus more on writing. The last few years, I've been focused a lot on teaching. And I love teaching. I love teaching. I love working with writers. Um, but what I would... And I was... I spent a lot of the last few years focusing on building the teaching part of my, my business. And now what I'm trying to do is shift from there into writing more. Because I feel like if I'm not writing, then my, my teaching suffers. You know what they, people say: if you if you can't do teach, if people who can't do teach, which I think is complete and utter nonsense, um, I think the two go together one hundred percent. Because in order to teach something to somebody, you have to know how to really break it down into parts, really know what something is, and then know how to take somebody else through the steps of understanding how to do a thing. So for example, pitching editors, pitching the New York Times for an article. Um, So how do you do that? Well, 
if I've never done it, if I haven't had practice doing it, if I have no idea who the editors are, if I don't know what the New York Times is publishing now, I can't really be as up to date to help somebody else do that. One thing I'll also say though, what I find is the number one thing that gets in the way for people when they're writing, what, whether they're writing books or publishing articles or whatever it is that they're doing or starting a content marketing business, the number one thing that gets in the way is self-confidence and that feeling of who wants to read my writing and nobody really, you know, I don't have anything useful to say, you know, and I understand that because I often feel that too, particularly when I'm doing something new. So I am constantly pushing my myself in my own writing to go to to a new level to to feel that kind of fear and to feel that oh no I don't really I'm not 100% sure what I'm doing because that helps me continue to encourage people to do the same thing in their writing lives. Yeah, that's that's great because you've been at your business for a while now. And I think we can roughly break it down to your writing versus your teaching and since we're talking about your writing at the moment. Could you give us a sense of maybe some of the topics that you were writing about previously? You know, you're learning you know, new areas versus the ones that you're tackling, you're learning today. So there are many, many different types of writing. So whether you're writing copy for a website and copywriting basically is any kind of writing that you would read in, in any type of business. And that that's, could be newsletters, it could be websites, it can be it's pretty broad. And sometimes it can actually look the same as an article that you might pitch to a magazine. Then there's magazine articles or journal- more journalistic writing, commercial writing, which is the Washington Post, the New York Times, pretty much anything you would see online or something you would buy at a newsstand. And then there are books, short stories, literary writing. It's so broad. And I think the most important thing is to sort of figure out, well, what, what is it that you want to do right this moment? What comes first? Because it's really hard to try to do everything and incredibly overwhelming to do everything because each, each, each thing you pitch, each thing you write requires research and requires reading and requires knowing, knowing what you want out of it. I'm okay. So all of my more commercial writing, I don't do any, the only content writing I do is for my own website and for my newsletters, which I like to do myself because it's, it's me and it's my voice and it's my way of communicating with the people who are on my list and in my groups. But then the only commercial writing I'm doing is related to teaching teaching, writing, how do you write? And then that also branches out into parenting. Like you just asked me, well, how, how do you balance your parenting with your, with your writing? How do you, how do you build a business? What is, you know, all the different things that go into my creating a writing life. That's what I pitch to editors. And there's an endless list of places where you can pitch. And my number one suggestion for deciding where you could potentially write is Ask yourself, where do, what do I love to read? What are my favorite? What, when, I, when, the, when you go out there and you're thinking, you know, you're going to pick up a magazine or you're going to go online and you're going to look something up, where's the number one place that you go? Well, that's probably a really great place for you to pitch. You know, I, and I actually have a lot of resources on my website for this, for how to pitch, for how to write different things, for how to, you know, my, basically my, my website is an extension of my teaching. So so for example, if somebody has, a, it's the questions that people ask me all the time. I'll write a blog post on it. I put it up there or I'll put together a resource and put it on my website. So it's, it really is designed as an education site. 
Um, and then the third type of writing, what I'm, what I'm, my creative writing right now that goes beyond business development is I'm writing a YA sci-fi novel. It's so much fun. And <laughs> it's, and it's funny because, you know, writing, writing them, like a lot of people until now I've written a lot of personal essay, or there's been a lot of pitching for business related things, which I'm used to doing and I'm good at it and I enjoy it but it's not fun in the same way. I don't have as much fun as I do when I just get to let it go wild and write about plants that come to life and you know artificial intelligence and you know this girl who's trying to find her way through the wilderness to you know save her brother. Hey, it's Faye, and today on the show, join me and Lee Shulman. We're living in New York City Lee made a decision to move her entire family to Argentina, and a decade later, she's still there, exploring her life as a creative writer and mentor for so many others who are working to find their own voice and their own creative endeavors. This is a story for immigrants outside of the U.S. and stories you haven't heard. Thank you for joining us. kind of break it down. I love how you shifted the conversation from, you know, my questions of what you do specifically to really gearing that towards people who want to become writers themselves, whether it's full-time or a lot of people are thinking about part-time, such as myself. What would be the advice that you have for people if we paint a picture of someone, let's say 30, 35 years old, you know, somebody who's had a life and maybe work in the corporate world for about eight to 10 years and, uh, you know, is really interested in writing. How, what are some of the advice that you would give them to kind of get started and warm up to being a writer? Well, I think the first thing is think about what it is that you want to write. Um, for many people, the first, the first thing people will say is they're like, oh, I want to write a book, but oh, I can't do that. Or I want to write for a magazine, but oh, I can't do that. And that little voice of, oh, I can't do that, recognize it and just be like, no, I'm going to ignore that. You want to write a book, write a book. You want to write for magazines? pitch magazines. And then you decide, once you decide what you want to do, you, you just throw yourself into it. And it's like the best advice I can give for any writer is just write. And I know that's, that's very broad and it makes you ask questions like, well, how and where and what and why? Well, all that information of how and what and where and why, it's all on the internet. Most of it's on my website or my website will point to places to do it. But you think about, well, what is it that you want to do? You want to write a book? Sit down and start writing a book. Do you have ideas for a book? Get that down on paper. Um, you want to pitch editors. You want, you want to start writing for magazines. You say, all right, what are your topics? Let's see, what, is, what are the topics you want to write about? What are the magazines that you want to write for? And then you just start pitching them. You start, Or you can write an article and send it somewhere. Now, the mechanics behind that... There, there are always a lot of mechanics of how to and where do you send it and what's the format of a pitch and how do you, you know, X, Y, Z, how do you know how to structure a book? The best way to learn it is to just start doing it, particularly with pitching. Nope, you know, and even with writing a book, sometimes just sitting down and writing your book, just starting to write is the best place to start. And I think one of the things that gets in the way is, well, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if I do all this work and it doesn't go anywhere? Well, it might happen. You know, when you write a book, 
there are lots of pages that you edit out and you never use. When it comes to pitching, you know, when they say, let's say for every, for every 10 pitches you send, you will like, I think you two will be accepted. So 80% of your pitches aren't going to be accepted. You know, when particularly when you, when you're cold pitching. So the first thing is just to get used to that, that idea that number one, you're writing. Number two, you are going to be rejected. You aren't going to use everything that you write. So it's worthwhile to really enjoy the writing that you're doing and to really embody it and be clear in what you want to do. So I I feel like that might feel really broad because normally at this point when I'm answering this question, I pull out different, I sent, I, you know, I'll be talking to somebody one-on-one or I'll be in a class and I'll pull out a bunch of links and I'll put stuff up on the screen and show people exactly what I'm talking about and send them to different resources, which I can actually send. I have like a whole bunch of resources. I've got one resource that starts, it's, um, it's three writing prompts for people who just don't even know what they want to write yet. And the whole point of the writing prompts is to draw that out and to, to get you, get your creative juices going and get your ideas on paper. I think in a way that's so sort of similar to getting a to-do list. And obviously there are things that we, we could do better or worse with writing down a to-do list. But I find that with running a company that the worst thing I could do is have these things on my mind without writing them down. Because the moment I write down you know, what I need to do for my business is actually a lot smaller and a lot more straightforward, simpler than I thought it would be. And having... You, know, you wrote an article called How to Embrace the Chaos of Creativity. You know, it feels so chaotic in our own heads to say like, you know, I cannot do this. This is too complex. And, uh, but to actually get it out there and know that, you know, to take advantage of the chaos and have the writing be more real and more authentic could be the way to go. So thanks for sharing Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And actually that, that post that you're talking about is, is, I think, where it all starts. And I know people who will be hearing this or different people are coming from different places in terms of different levels of experience in terms of their writing. But I do find learning to be comfortable with chaos is a great place for anyone to start. You know, whatever, whatever it is you're doing, just sort of being comfortable with not knowing, being comfortable with that area where you're sort of swimming around and kind of like, Oh, what do I do? And I, I love that you said that it's similar to putting together a to-do list because, you know, for your business, because I do apply the rules that I use to run my business to my writing. And I'm always saying, run your writing like a business. You know, of course, the chaos part where you're just writing, writing in a world of chaos, which, you know, can be a lot of fun once you get past the discomfort of it. That's, you're not running that like a business. That's, that's your chance to be free. That's like brainstorming in business. That's just throwing everything out there and seeing what happens and letting things become what they want to become. And then you bring it down and you, you organize it and you say, all right, what are you going to do with these things? What happens next? And then that's the business part where you add a little bit of order to the chaos before you go back into the chaos. Absolutely. And you know, after we spoke a few months ago, at the time I mentioned that I started my own book for immigrants and students and workers living in America. And the funny thing was, after speaking with you, what I decided to do is to start in Scrivener. I know a lot of writers use that. I 
you know, for years and years, I, I didn't. But I think for the first actual book, it helped me to consider just at a high level, know what the word counts could be. That can be easily changed. And then one feature I love about that is that it will break it down based on how many days a week you want to write and tells you the milestones. Since, you know, every day for me to finish the book at the end of October, okay, that's like 780 words a day. And to be able to look at that. And I, I just, it really worked for me to feel motivated, to feel like something I could hit and to give myself a purpose every so single that's day. Really, so you started writing it. That's so exciting. Yeah, I'm onto the oh, second part now. I, so I'm over the chaos. <laughs> I'm still in the chaos. It's, it, there's always a yeah. little bit of chaos, but that's okay. I, it's, I think chaos is a good thing. Well, chaos is just part of the creative process. And it always makes me think of what was the, the movie, oh my God, with Will Smith based on the play, Six Degrees of Separation. And there's a part where he's talking about a Kandinsky painting where one side is about control, one side is about chaos. And he, they're, they're spinning the painting around in my head. I don't know if that's actually what happened, but they're spinning the painting around and they're talking about chaos control, chaos control. And I think, I think that is the creative process. You allow the chaos to happen, then you get back, then you, you know, and then you, then you put it in Scrivener, basically. Scrivener is awesome. There's so many functions on it. Like I still find... I. I've been using it for a while and I, I don't even pretend to know the least, to think that I know it well. But I think that's amazing that you've written it. And I, I want to hear more about it, actually. I, I would love to tell you on... I think a lot of the people are kind of... Maybe they are stuck with where I am right now. Not really stuck, but feeling a little bit of that resistance. And for example, I'm onto the stage where we need to know our niche. And one of the ways to know who you're writing for, as opposed to oh my God, this is going to be the greatest book ever. People just want to read it because I'm an immigrant and I lived through this and hopefully I can inspire others to do X, Y, and Z. So instead of thinking it that way, I went to Amazon. I searched for all books on written for immigrants and not, you know, not for immigration, like the legal process and what I'm focusing on. So I'm reading uh, more stories and, and see kind of what people are looking for. And there's one... A technique that I learned, which is look at all the subcategories. And immediately I learned that people are really specific. So I would love to kind of hear your uh, take on, you know, if you were me, were, you know, kind of uh, having our little almost like a mini coaching or advice session to say, hey, Faye, you're on the right track, or no, maybe this is a little too broad. So the titles that I have found are so specific. So my current thoughts are my book is still a little broad. For all you know, immigrants in general living in America, you know, students, workers, or should I specifically speak to Chinese immigrants because I'm Chinese? One question I always ask people when they're writing a book, and this applies to pretty much any book that that you could be writing. If you could, if you had to distill your what your okay, what your book is about in one sentence, and when I say what is your book about? I don't mean what happens in it. What I mean is, what is it that you want your readers to understand and feel when they're finished reading the book? And then then distill that to one sentence. What would that one sentence be for your book? Yeah, I'll give it a shot. I think I hope anyone who picks up the book as an immigrant once they're done reading the book, I want them to feel more powerful and more peaceful at the same time and to know that you know, the drive to 
their own success is not really bound by their skin color, their origin, you know, their um, sort of the foundation of their finances when they started off. So they could really do what they want to do, even as an immigrant. So just to distill that down even further, would you say, all right, so immigrants moving to the United States who may be nervous about what are they going to do? Where are they going to go? What are they going to find? Can feel empowered to find their own personal path, regardless of whatever their education, that, that your book is to help them find their personal path by sharing stories. Awesome. Yes. yes. And what I would say is when, when, you know, when we're done talking, go and write, go and write it down, write it down until you get that one sentence really clear for you. And then when you, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to refer to it or, you know, when you keep that idea in the back of your mind, when you write, it will help you, it will help you make choices along the way. Because when you're really clear on what the book is about, that also lets you know who it's for. So you're writing for immigrants. It sounds like you're specifically writing for people of color, but who at this point in U.S. politics might feel kind of uncomfortable being in the United States and might feel like there's lot out there that does not necessarily support them. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. Yes, that's precisely what gives me the the drive to do to write this book. And I think because of current the current political climate among many other things, I have a feeling that there are more people who want to stand up and write. They want to write, they want to produce, doesn't matter. YouTube videos, they want to blog more, whatever it may be, there's just more of it. And you know, when I say I want to target immigrants, I want to do so not because I want to sell more books and get a more you know get a larger audience because sometimes I know when you try to speak to everyone you ended up speaking to no one you're not really suiting the book to anyone but at the same time I think what you're describing just now is that even though we might be very different like I look at myself you know and a and a friend of mine who's say from Colombia you know raising a family of four here in Boston I feel like our journey is drastically different. Our education, the way we were brought up, all the material goods that we had, you know, the type of family we had, very different. But yet, you know, we come together, we just have infinite amount of stories and things to talk about. You know, we enjoy a company and and it's just maybe there's something, I don't know. Like you could be totally frank with me as in if my my thoughts are too broad or maybe there's something to work with. It sounds like what you're talking about is sort of distilling down what it means to be an immigrant and what it is that people face. And I, I think, you know, I think if your book is talking about, you're talking about empowerment and you can do what you want. And yes, there are fears, but, you know, these are different stories and these are different models that people can take in order to get where they're going and find their own journey by seeing other people's stories. And, you know, right now, one thing that's really that agents in general are looking for in books and things like that are the, the sort of the own voices is the, 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 I don't know if it's a genre or if it's a specific viewpoint or what exactly they would call it. And that kind of doesn't even matter. But this idea of, of seeing, seeing representation, representation from different groups of people. And so to me, it's, I mean, I don't know where you are. Well, it depends where you are in the writing process, but I feel like you're, it sounds to me like you're on a great track and you know what you want, you know where you're headed and you know what you want people to take away from your book. And that, so you should keep writing. Just keep going. Okay, I will keep writing. 
I think, you know, when we talk about uh, why we're doing this and people want to make money, people really want to reach the people even without getting paid, but let's just please have more readers, know that I have an impact. But I think when we're thinking about that too much, then we really block ourselves from the work we're trying to do because, you know, there's so much of that isn't under our control and um, it's, an, it's an iterative process. You know, I want my first book to be the best book, but maybe I need a little more practice. And um, that's okay too. So, Hey, it's Faye. And today on the show, join me and Lee Shulman. When living in New York City, Lee made a decision to move her entire family to Argentina. And a decade later, she's still there, exploring her life as a creative writer and mentor for so many others who are working to find their own voice and their own creative endeavors. This is a story for immigrants outside of the U.S., and stories you haven't heard. Thank you for joining us. I would love to get your take. You know, now imagine someone who's either starting in the middle of it or is wrapping up a book at the moment. There's a number one most popular question I would love to hear your point of view, which is, what is your POV, point of view, on self-publishing versus working with publishers. And here, let's just say we're now referring to someone like Tony Robbins or Tim Ferriss. We're talking about people who are potentially, let's just say, publishing their very first book, people like myself. What would you do in that case? It really depends. Um, Everything related to publishing depends on how it fits into your bigger picture and what it is that you want for your writing life. Um, in my book, which I, my book, my last book, I pub, I did self-publish and it's called, it's called the writer's roadmap, paving the way to your ideal writing life. And it's based on seven years of a process that I used with clients that I've been using with my one-on-one clients of how you kind of look at your writing life, break it down and figure out exactly what you want and then create a plan to go from where you are now to where you want to go. and. I didn't, I wanted to get that out there as soon as possible because I felt like I could continue doing one-on-ones, but I had so many people asking me questions that it only made sense to write a book. So I wrote the book and I put it out there and I do all my own marketing and it's based on my business platform. And it's been great for my business platform. Also, it's grown my business because people find me somehow. They find my book before they find me. However. You know, and and I've decided all of my business books. I have another book that I'm I I have in the works when I'm finished the one I'm working on now, the rejection handbook, because rejection kills people. Like it really shuts them down. How do you deal with rejection? How do you how do you allow rejection to actually help you grow? And and let's let's switch up how we see rejection. That's a business related book. It's very central to my business and my work. I will self publish that. My fiction. I want to go to a traditional publishing house. So I will look for, when it's finished, I'm going to look for a wide agent and I'm going to go in that direction. But both of them relate very specifically to my goals. So my goals are going to be different than your goals. And therefore, and or anyone who's listening to this, it really always comes down to your, your overall objective of what it is that you want to create in your writing life or your, your creative life and your business life. And then you make a decision based on that. I, I guess at a high level, are there some more evident benefits, you know, pros 
or cons associated with self-publishing. What I've heard so far is that, you know, if you want to do it your way, you're in full control, you wanted to get out there as soon as possible, self-publishing seems to be the way. Then I guess, what are some of the benefits working with publishers? Well, they bring a platform with them. They do some of the marketing for you. You have a team who will help you create the right cover, create the right you know, create the right setting for it. You still do your own marketing. You don't, like you said, you don't have as much control, but you do have professionals sort of backing you in a way. Whereas if you're, let's say you're picking your own cover, well, you're you're figuring that out on your own. Whereas if you're publishing through a house, they're helping you based on many, many years of experience. So it, it really is about speed, control, you know, and also money. When you're self-publishing, you you keep all the money that you make from it. Whereas traditional publishing, you do not keep that much. However, you they have more of a platform and therefore they have a bigger platform than the average author. And therefore, it is more likely more people will buy it. Unless as an author, you're dedicated to continuing to do your own marketing. Got it. Got it. Wow. It's really fascinating. So I'm sure since the very beginning, people are already, listeners are wondering, oh, wow, that sounds like a wonderful life because there's so many people out there who fancy themselves to become writers one day and maybe they got the chops to do it as well. But how do you make money? I mean, you've been at this career for, for quite a bit. If we could kind of maybe break it down to what you did, how you navigated your writing career at the beginning, you know, while being able to pay the bills to like halfway through that to today, you have really more of a polished business with all, you know, different revenue streams and such. So if you could take us to the, to the beginning, like how, how did you navigate the the financial side of things? The financial side. Okay. And here, here's the thing about being a writer. Most writers do not make all of their money from creative writing. Some do, most do not. You know, and that's why many writers are doing content writing while they're building up the creative side of their writing. So there's a woman in the in the mastermind group that I run called The Workshop. Um, I had a woman come in named Vanessa McGrady who she just published a book called Rock Needs River. It's doing really well. I think they're looking into movie rights for it. She's done a lot of personal essays. But for many years, she's made the bulk of her her income through content writing. Because content writing just pays significantly better than, say, writing a, writing a personal essay for the New York Times. More people will read it in the New York Times, but it doesn't pay as well. I, I have had a million jobs, so not a million, but I, it feels like it. Um, I've done so many different things. I've designed websites. I worked for MTV. I have, I did, I did interviews. I did psychology interviews for Columbia Presbyterian. I've done lots of different things while I was writing. And it was sort of this constant process of sort of figuring like, well, what is it that I can stand to do making money, even if it's not what I really want to be doing that will allow me to pay my bills while I'm able to write and send things out. And when I started teaching, I fell in love with teaching. The first thing I ever taught, I actually taught for the first time while I was getting my master's in creative writing at City College. And that's when I started teaching. And just, I never expected to like it as much as I did and then never stopped. So my teaching has been really broad and I've 
I've tried out many different ways. I've taught for universities, I've taught for schools, I've developed my own programs. And now the majority of my teaching is, is my own programs, whether it's one-on-ones with people or the, the mastermind that I'm running or my book. I consider that teaching also. And I will say that those, those have been bringing for the last few years, because I've been focusing on it more, have brought in the majority of my income. Um, and then, as you said, there's income streams. So for example, like I have a book on Amazon. That's one income stream. If I recommend a book online through Amazon, there's another income stream. I have affiliate stream. I have affiliate sales. And then there's, there's the writing that's really close to my heart. So personal essays, the book that I'm working on, um, fiction. And my goal with my, with my personal writing, I'll call it my personal writing, even if it's not all personal, um, but it's the stuff that I, that I most enjoy doing, that, that is the most creative work for me outside of my teaching. You know, sometimes it pays $25, sometimes it pays $500, sometimes it can pay $2,000 for one thing that you write, but you, you don't always know when you're going to get a yes from an editor. So I chose not to rely on that for my income. I use that for my creative outlet and the money, the income I get from it is icing on the cake. And that's, but that's also how I, I structure myself because I chose to run a business and my, the heart of my business is education. Um, while I continue to write and put things out there and publish. I do want to have you maybe speak to your writing workshop and sort of your educational side of writing practice. You know, when you started doing that, you know, what was the motivation and how you grew your mastermind from, you know, zero person to what it is today? Um, As you mentioned, you're definitely, there are a lot of sort of trial and errors. You learned a lot along the way. So... I started, I had an idea for it. I had a small mailing list. I didn't really know what I was doing. I started a Facebook group and I just sent out to my mailing list. And I'm like, hey, anybody want to join this? And it's, it's a monthly fee and brought people in. And, you know, I think five people signed up at first. And I, I had a few friends that came in also just sort of as what I think cedars, I think they're called just so that there could be a little more of a conversation. I think we started this about a group of 10. Over the years, I have not been that aggressive of bringing people in because my feeling is I want to bring... I don't want people to come in just to come in because yes, it might be more income for me on a monthly basis, but it changes the conversation. I want to make sure that the people who are there are the people who really truly want to be there, who want to be part of the community, and who, you know, that it's the right people who are there. And the right people can sound funny, you know, in different ways. But I feel like, you know, when you're the right person because it's a good fit. And so over the years, it's grown pretty slowly. I have about, I think, 70 people in it right now. And basically, it includes all the things that I have found to be the most useful in helping people move toward their writing. So there's, there's sort of the psychological um, and you know organizational side of it. So for example, every week we check in on Mondays and then we and say, you know, what do you want to accomplish this week? And then on Fridays, what did you accomplish? Which is based on, you know, organizational psychology and the and 
the idea that when you are regularly checking in with someone and you have a very clear structure for accountability, you're okay. So there was a study on this that said, if you check in, if you tell somebody what your goal is, it raises the chance of you reaching that goal to 65%. If you meet with people regularly to work on that goal and discuss your, your progress in that goal, it reaches your, your, your chances of finishing it and reaching that goal go up to something like 90%. So, so it includes accountability. There's also the community, which is part of the community, which is a place where you can go ask questions, talk to people about the issues that you're having, talk about your doubts, share your wins. And sharing your wins is crucial. And then there's the, the craft side of it and the, the writer's life side of it. So every month I have a Q&A that's with me, which is direct mentorship with me. And then every month we also a, a separate live event where it can be anything from a poetry workshop to I'll bring, bring in writers, you know, published writers so they can talk about their experiences and, and how they published and their road to publishing so that the people who are in the group are constantly getting support. They're getting the skills that they need to move forward in their writing and then also getting those stories and those models for how other people have designed their writing lives so they can make choices for themselves. Um, and my group actually starts with the work that comes from my book and from, from writing a business plan, basically, where you the very first step is you write a plan for your writing life, the writer's roadmap. It's based on what's called an OGSM, Objectives, Goals, Strategies, and Measures, which is, is from the business world. It's something that small businesses use to keep themselves on track, basically. And then I adapted it for writers. So the first step is you put together your writing roadmap and then everything else in the group is designed to help you implement it and just make it happen. Wow. You know, for most people who are listening to this, I, I believe half, half of the listeners will know exactly what a mastermind is. You know, people come together uh, biweekly, once a month to really talk through what you described. And the other half may be still relatively new to, wow, what is a mastermind? I don't belong to any of these sort of online workshops together. I don't belong to any of these groups. So I think what you talked about, it's really helpful for people to get a sense for, oh, that's, that's the value and that's the purpose. Now, I'm so curious because you've been doing this for how many years now? Uh, running it's the mastermind? been going, oh, I think four years, four or five years. Wow. But it, it's changed quite a bit over the years. You know, there's been, like I said, there's been a lot of trial and error and I've kind of, I'll try something if it works. I, I, I'm constantly in touch with the people who are in it to say, hey, how did this work for you? What do you think? What more would you like to see? So it's constantly evolving. And it also depends on the group because sometimes I'll have a group of people who, you know, they don't want to do writing sprints every week because it has nothing to do with what they're doing. Whereas sometimes I'll have more people who they're like, no, 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 I, the writing sprints are really helpful. Let's do them. So, and that's just one example. And this is great. I, I want to kind of um, probe just one more area. I noticed in my notes that you said something that really touched my heart, which is that we are, maybe not the word obligated, but we should, we really should tell our stories. And you had said this a few months ago, that especially for women, because many of us don't believe our stories are important enough. And I want you to maybe speak to that a little bit where you, you know, maybe where you got that information possibly from people you've worked with, what you were just, what you've noticed in, in the writing world. Almost, I believe everybody has a story to tell and those stories are important. And the stories that people 
tend to push down or, you know, as a culture, the stories that we hear the loudest that push down other people's stories. It's those stories that kind of go under the surface that I think that are the most interesting to me. And those are the ones that need to be heard. Um, And that is the immigrant story. And that is women's stories. And that's obviously two incredibly broad areas. But my experience has been whenever I talk to people, when I've run workshops, when I've run retreats, when I talk to people, you know, before I do a one-on-one with somebody, I have a discovery call just to see if it's a good fit to find out what's going on. And uh, so many people say to me, the first thing they say is, I, I really want to write this book, but I don't know if what I have to say is important enough. You know, and then they go on to tell me stories that I was like, that ha- like, how, how could you not know that there's, there's so many people out there that want to hear that story? And it's because we are so often isolated from others when we're not sharing our stories, when we're not telling people what we do. And in a lot of ways, we, we're so used to our own stories that we don't see them as important. And, you know, I think maybe sometimes we also don't see ourselves as, as worthy and important. And that's why we don't recognize our stories. And, in, and you know, when you ask that question, you know, you, when you ask, you know, will I talk about that? Yeah, that's central. That, I feel like that's the heart of everything I do. I feel like my role in this world is to give people a voice who don't feel like they have one. And if I can do that, then I feel like I will have given back to the world as much as I've been given. Oh, how beautifully said. That's, that purpose is so clear. You know, what you said about having me write down that one sentence for my book. I feel like what you just said about what you like to give back to the world by giving people a voice that is your life mission. And I think that once you have that mission and you're in the world contributing to, to this mission, then every day is a good day. Thank you so much for chatting. I, uh, I loved you. it. And, and I will, we'll, we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Take care. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Hi there. It's me again. I want to thank you very much for listening to this episode. And I hope you were able to learn a few things. If you enjoy what you heard, it will be hugely helpful if you could subscribe to the Face World podcast. It literally takes seconds. If you're on your mobile phone, just search for Face World podcast in the podcast app on iPhone or an Android app such as Podcast Addict and click subscribe. All new episodes will be delivered to you automatically. Thanks so much for your support.